Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. My name is Mike Nelson. I am a technical marketing engineer at Rubrik. I'd like to say thank you very much to our host, Rebecca, for my introduction. Um, you can always reach me at Nell Media on Twitter or Mike at GeekTweakers.com. Um, just uh, the stuff that goes after my name, I'm a Microsoft MVP, um, Data Center Management, as well as an Azure Advisor, a Citrix Technology Professional, and a VMware the Expert. But we're going to talk about Azure Security today. So the first thing I'd like to do is give a little plug to an Azure or a session that I'll be doing at Microsoft Ignite. So if you are going there at the end of September, please join me and Leah Schoen, who will be doing CYA, Covering Your Assets with Security and Threat Detection in Azure. Um, go to the uh, session catalog and sign up for that. Please say hello, say hi, um, come have a beer with me, and uh, maybe I'll give you some really cool swag. So let's talk about Azure Security. The first thing I want to do is I want to ask you a couple questions. Now, if this is a live audience, it'd be really easy to do, but this is an audience that I cannot see. So I want you to think about some questions. And uh, the biggest question I want you to think about is how you actually look at your cloud security today. Now, if you think about it, you're really trying to um, shift the way you're thinking about how uh, you implement security. Ask this question. When you put a VM, uh, virtual machine, and you put it out in Azure, you put it in any cloud service, Google, AWS, what have you, do you apply the same type of security to that VM that you would apply if you deployed it on-premises? I would bet you money that you probably don't. And part of the reason is because uh, in when you move things into the cloud or you create them in the cloud, they don't have the same type of, of, of security layers or uh, policies or even um, the same type of, of, of equipment that you're familiar with, that you're used to using to secure your VMs. So if you're used to applying a specific policy on your local network when you deploy a virtual machine, it's not the same in the cloud. You can't apply that same policy. Now, if it is like a, a, a policy that's a group policy in, in Active Directory and you're tied into Azure Active Directory, then yes, you can do that. Most of the time, we're talking about specific security policies um, and procedures, okay, that are tied to when you deploy a machine. So think about that. Think about if you actually do mimic what you do on premises that you do in the cloud. And I'll bet you um, that most of you say, eh, well, kind of, sort of, maybe. Okay. So does your cloud security actually look like this? Does it look like a little tricycle that's kind of, you know, chained to a a post and hopes that somebody doesn't come along with a bolt cutters and, and steal it from you with its tire falling off like something is actually, you know, broken on your security. Um, you know, the streamers fell off the right handlebar, the wheel is all bent. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why there's a band-aid on that pole, but you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to guess at that, but think about it. Does your cloud security look like that? Um, is your VM, is that how you secure your VM? chain it to a pole, and if your VM's in that bad of shape, I, I feel really sorry for you. But, uh, you know, think about that. Think about how your cloud security and what your cloud security can be. So, some interesting security info. Um, this is speaking about Azure now. We have about 2 million breach attempts per day inside of Azure. And that that's really kind of a, a relative number when you think about the total number of VMs that are deployed uh, worldwide. Um, in Azure, 
say two million is kind of uh, you know a very low percentage, uh, but at the same time it's still quite alarming. I mean, two million is a big number. The three highest percentage uh, of encounters, as the uh, Microsoft security folks call them, are botnets, phishing, and ransomware. Okay, if anybody's not familiar with botnets, botnets are actually a way to uh, create other types of malware. Um, they actually can become in kits, if you will, and uh, you can go in and create all kinds of, of, of fun, fun little things with them and to disrupt users or destroy data um, or encrypt data, if you will. There's over about a thousand brute force attacks every second. Um, that's pretty common. Think about it. When you deploy a Windows VM into the cloud, and it doesn't have to be necessarily Azure, it's any public cloud. Um, in order to uh, manage that machine, if you don't necessarily have a, uh, a jump box that you go to for all of your stuff, um, you open up that RDP port, right, through the firewall. And uh, Azure makes it pretty simple because they have this little connect button, you know, and you, you click on connect and it gives you the actual RDP, you know, connection uh, file that just downloads right to your local machine. You click on it and you're connected. Well, that means that, you know, the RDP port has to be open and that's open for a brute force attack. The same with Linux. I mean, when you do Linux, it, you get a connection for, you know, SSH, um, and you can brute force that as well. The Gamma Ru botnet, uh, which some may know it as the Andromeda, um, it tops all disruptions since Configure, if you remember that one, uh, with 1,800 plus command and control centers. Uh, command and control center is where the uh, botnet or malware or ransomware or uh, virus or whatever is created by that bot um, will send the data to, right? So um, if you get a ransomware attack and that ransomware decrypts, uh, encrypts all of your files, it'll send the information that it did that to these command and control centers. And they will, you know, go through the whole thing of, hey, you owe us all this Bitcoin in order to unencrypt it and all that. Uh, there are 464 distinct botnets that are created out of uh, Gamaru and 80 plus malware variant families. So you can see that whenever a botnet goes out there and people uh, start building off of it, bad people um, start building off of it, they actually start building all these different types of uh, malware and different variants. So that's where you get the ransomware and the, and, uh, the you know, the, the, the Newsome uh, ransomware, um, the, what are they calling it now? Uh, advertisement wear, where you just start getting bombarded with all these advertisements all the time, things like that. So, botnet kits are widely available, or you can get them. You can go to Google. Go ahead and Google botnet kits, um, and you can actually download them. Then you can create your own botnet. Um, so, the reason why I'm saying this is because it's not like this is some you know, dark web backroom thing that, you know, only, you know, really bad people do. It's people who are just curious and saying, hey, I'm going to be a hacker. I'm going to, you know, I want to go out and mess with people. Uh, they're readily available. And now they actually have something called ransomware as a service. Okay, so you can, you can pay someone, um, depending on what that payment is, Bitcoin, dollars, I'm not sure. Uh, but you can actually pay them and they will create a piece of ransomware for you and distribute it for you. Okay. And you're paid. And, and then, you know, obviously you get the money back that you 
you know, uh, you're asking these people to pay once it attacks the, their infrastructure. But think about that. I mean, somebody is really capitalizing on ransomware. That's, that's really kind of scary and sick at the same time. All right. So from the cloud perspective, you have to understand that there's a security responsibility that's split between the cloud provider and uh, you as an administrator. Now, there's a little bit of gray area in between, right? So Microsoft, we're taking this from Azure's standpoint, of course, Microsoft's commitment is around the physical assets in its data centers, the data center operations, and the cloud infrastructure. Now, the shared responsibility, that's you and Microsoft together, are the VMs, network services, applications, and data. Now, this varies depending on what types of services you use, either as um, IaaS, PaaS, or SaaS, platform as a service, software as a service, or infrastructure as a service. Okay, but when you look at it across from, you know, more basic terms of on-prem all the way to SaaS, you can look at it, you have maximum control when you're on-prem, and then you go to infrastructure, right? Uh, when you start getting into PaaS, all right, that's when you start losing, and you're, you're, you're relying on the provider to give you that security. You know, it's called outsource trust. All right, then you get into SaaS, and that's like total outsource trust. That's a customer lockbox. Hey, I sign a contract with you, um, and uh, I have all of my uh, user or uh, merchant credit card information going into that lockbox. I'm relying on you to provide the security around that, right? So if you look at the bottom of the slide, this is where actually Azure gives you some of that security when you're talking about between IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS. The control plane, the JIT, just-in-time access, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, um, the key vault, the monitoring, auditing, reporting, and then, of course, the, the trust platform that's underneath, and I'll be touching on that as well. This is crazy, right? This is actually a reference architecture that the cybersecurity folks at Microsoft came up with. If you look at this, this contains all of the things that have to be secured in some form or fashion inside of Azure. Um, and if you were to go through all of this, it's just, you know, there's all of these applications and services and features and, you know, um, take some time, you know, uh, take a look at it when you, when you have nothing else to do. But it's really kind of an, uh, a really good way to understand how everything ties together. You can see how all the lines intersect and how things are secured with each other. Kind of cool. And what Azure does is it takes something called the logical layered isolation approach. So if you take it from the right-hand side, you're looking at the actual internet, okay, which the first layer will stop the uh, uh, DDoS uh, attacks, right, the DDoS attacks, um, which includes the, the, for, the front of Azure. Then you get to the endpoints in Azure, okay, then the virtual network isolation, which you can do, as well as NSG and UDR. Now, NSG is the network security gateways and UDRs are the user-defined routes, all right? So UDRs, you can actually specify what routes your traffic takes instead of just being like open to everything. And then you get down to the network virtual appliances and then the core, which is your actual deployment, your deployment, the past deployment, the SAS deployment, what have you, okay? Now, th this is something I came up with. This is infrastructure as a service, the security POI, which are points of interest. So these are the things you really have to look at. First thing you have to look at is identity. Azure Active Directory, hybrid Active Directory, 
your local users, multi-factor access. These are things that you need to look at points of interest in order to understand what your security profile is going to be in the cloud. All right, then we get into connectivity, the internet, tunneling. Okay, you can do uh, force tunneling, point-to-point um, -point tunneling, all that kind of cool stuff with source IP, site-to-site um, -site VPN. Now, site-to-site -site VPN is how uh, most small businesses and even some larger businesses and even individuals like myself will actually connect a network up into Azure. But most of the time, it's just right over the internet, right? So if you're just using Office 365 and you connect up to, you know, use Word in, the, in Office 365, you're actually making a connection up into Azure, believe it or not, because 365 runs in Azure. Um, but what you need to understand is that, that that connection isn't necessarily secure, okay? Same thing, if you're connecting to a virtual machine over an RDP port and you don't have a site-to-site -site VPN, or the last option, which is an express route, a dedicated connection up in Azure, you're wide open. You, you know, somebody could intercept your traffic and, and be man in the middle and just jump right in there and, and uh, um, do whatever they'd like to do inside of your infrastructure. Okay, so if you have the ability to do express route, that is the most secure. That's the best way to do it. Um, besides actually just confining yourself to uh, working exclusively in the cloud and never coming back to on-prem, uh, which I don't think anybody can really do yet. But ExpressRoute actually is really secure because it's a point-to-point, -point, right? But it also is fully redundant. So you, it's a requirement of Microsoft that that circuit be redundant. And uh, that even gives you an extra layer of security um, in case one of the, the links is compromised. Then we get into data protection and privacy. We talk about storage encryption, disk encryption, um, VM encryption, which is kind of available and kind of not in Azure, uh, but we can talk about it. Uh, we have RBAC, which is, of course, uh, role-based access control, and JIT access, which is just-in-time access, which I'll talk about. Then we talk about threat defense, security hardening, advanced threat protection, pen testing, update management, which is, huh, if you deal with Microsoft servers, guess what? You still have update testing, but Microsoft now can do all that update for you. Uh, monitoring and alerting and analytics. Then we finally get down to compliance. If you have an industry that you work in, if your corporation is finance, banking, uh, medical, you have uh, compliance and auditing and policy, and not necessarily just those industries. I mean, you could be a, a manufacturer of paper and you still have all these compliance and things you have to go through. So um, everybody has, you know, PII and everything else. And, you know, it's not just for um, specific industries anymore. It's kind of across the board. Now, this is kind of an eye chart. I'm not going to go through all this, but I wanted to put this in here because this is kind of important. For folks that don't know, all right, in order to, uh, for uh, Azure to host virtual machines, every time a, 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 a Hyper-V host is brought up in Azure. Now, you know, uh, of course, that Hyper-V runs Azure, right? Well, it's kind of a, a variant of Hyper-V, but that is actually what's running all the virtual machines in Azure. Now, in order for that Hyper-V host to, to host VMs that you would, like, create, or you would migrate into Azure, it actually has to create what's called a root VM. And that root VM is a hardened OS VM that talks to the fabric, 
on the back end. It, it allows the storage to talk to the Hyper-V host. It allows the network and it allows the, um, the uh, actual VM guests to talk to uh, the back end, the Hyper-V cluster and things like that that are going on in Azure, right? But it's kind of important to remember because these are points of security that Microsoft is responsible for, okay? That you're not responsible for, that Microsoft is. Now in your network, in your on-premises network, you are responsible for that. Um, but not when it's up in Azure, okay? Now, just a couple of alternatives to consider for against the infrastructure as a service. You can go containers. If you're not necessarily familiar with containers, um, containers are actually a, uh, a service that you can use. Um, it's the actual Azure Kubernetes service or Azure Container Service, AKS as I like to call it. Um, you can use that as a service or you can actually deploy containers directly on your uh, on your VMs up in Azure. Um, pass, of course, you can elect to use platforms as a service. Then you don't have to actually put up a VM that's got a SQL bot, a SQL server running on it that you have to install and configure and manage and so on and so forth. You can use the serv SQL services inside of Azure and let Microsoft take care of all that stuff for you. SAS, pretty much the same thing. Everybody's kind of familiar with that. If you use any of the services that you know, are common in today's corporation um, in terms of HR application, ERP, CRM, all that kind of stuff. Those are all SaaS apps. Minimal OS, keeping your footprint small. That is kind of big. If you can minimalize your OS, then you're reducing your attack service, right? That's when Microsoft, remember Microsoft came out with Nano Server. Uh, now the Nano Server is now a container, but Nano Server was really cool because it had such a low attack service. It only required like four updates a year, and that was it. Um, so it was really kind of a cool thing, but it couldn't run everything, couldn't do everything, and that you know, kind of sucked for some people. But uh, think about that. If you have an image that you use on your on-premises data center that is hardened, that's locked down, that's got all of your security policies on it, um, and everything that you want to bring up into the cloud, you need to take that image and bring it up into Azure and deploy all of your machines off of that image. Okay, so that's pretty, unless you want to recreate, you know, the wheel and try and put all those security measures on that new image that you create up in Azure, I um, highly recommend just taking that image, moving it up there um, and converting it to, you know, even a managed disk and then distributing it to all of your machines. Serverless. That's kind of like, what is that? That's like a new buzzword, just like AI and machine learning and all this other fun stuff. Um, serverless isn't really serverless, but it is when you talk about, um, you know, taking, having the cloud provider or the managed service provider do everything for you. You know, if you want to put an application up in, in the cloud, um, yeah, hey, here's my application. You take care of everything for me. I, you know, take care of the infrastructure, take care of the auto scaling, take care of the regional, take care of the uh, recovery. I'm not gonna deal with any of it. You do it, okay? That is also an option as well. Saws, paws, JIT, and AD. All right, so uh, Azure has something called Saws, which are secure management workstations, and in, I don't understand why they changed the name. They changed the name, but they didn't change the acronym, right? So it's actually called Secure Access Workstation, and they changed it to Secure Management Workstation, but they decided that SMW wasn't the way to go, I guess. Um, so uh, what a 
uh, SAW does is basically it does all tasks, like an administrative jump box, which you may have in your on-premises right. But when I was a, a system administrator, I had one box that I would connect to. And then from that box, I would run all of my administrative stuff. You know, I would open up all of my active directory. I would go out and do all my PowerShell commands. I would do everything against my environment from that one box. That's kind of the same principle, right? Privilege access, access workstation, a PAW. It's really kind of the same thing as a SAW, except it's locked down to certain accounts. And it's really to perform more tasks against sensitive data. So if it's something like there's legal data, if there's uh, you know anything that's covered under compliance or anything like that, it's really a, a very small, isolated um, workstation that you can get in as a specific account. It's monitored, audited, logged, all that kind of stuff. You do your thing and then get out. Um, just in time. Just in time is really not a new concept, but it's something that's a little bit newer to Azure. Um, just in time allows you to lock down all or certain parts of inbound traffic to a, a virtual machine. It's time control. Okay, so you can set a time uh, that is allowed for that. So if you want it, someone who is um, in a regional office or in another uh, data center across the world, across the country, you go in and take care of their thing inside of that, v that VM that they need to take care of, uh, and they need the administrative access or they need uh, uh, some kind of account controlled access, you can allow them to connect to that machine for a period of time. You can say, hey, you've got one hour to do your thing, and then it gets shut off. So you go in and you set the timer for one hour as you're Watches that, you know, starts a stopwatch, and then, you know, after that hour, they're cut off. If they're in the middle of something, it locks the machine. Um, so they have to, you know, there's some caveats about it, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really made to help secure um, anything that's done inside of that machine. Encrypted disks, uh, actually called uh, Azure um, uh, Disk Encryption, it's key based, uh, uses a familiar BitLocker from Windows and DMCrypt from Linux. Confidential computing. Confidential computing is something that Microsoft came up with that is based off of the TE, what they call the Trusted Execution Enclaves. Uh, it uses something called virtual secure mode, and it uses technology from Intel SGX. So it's required to have that Intel SGX in order to function. It is actually a protected container um, that actually contains your code and data. It creates an enclave, just your code and data, and it'll run it on the hardware layer as well as inside the application layer. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into this because this could take about a half hour to talk about, but if you're interested in confidential computing, please look it up. NSGs, uh, you define, obviously, the access control rules. Um, this is something that is, people are familiar with from a network security standpoint, ACLs, uh, where they go out and they, they figure out, you know, hey, who can connect to what and what can connect to who and so on and so forth. It's all rule-based. Um, and they're processed in order of priority, just like, you know, if you're working with a Cisco, you're working with a Juniper, you're working with any other type of, of security equipment. Um, and then the rules are based on five tuple, which is also very common. When you talk about the NSGs, okay, there are two different ACL groups, one for the VM and then one for the subnet. Okay, that's kind of important to understand is that you actually have two separate ACL groups. So if you're looking at security and you say, hey, I'm gonna lock this thing down, with ACLs, uh, you really have one on the VM and one on the subnet. And then the rules are applied to inbound traffic for the subnet, followed by rules for the VM, which makes sense, right? 
uh, alpha rules are applied by the VM and then by the subnet, which again, makes sense. Now on this slide, you have a default PowerShell script that'll actually go through and do that. Um, but you kind of get the idea how this works. It really works just like it does on premises. This is kind of the important part. We're talking about Azure Security Center. Azure came out uh, with Security Center um, quite a while ago, but they've really just redone it and brought it out again. Uh, Azure Security is, Center is really kind of cool. Whoops, I skipped the slide. Uh, but what it does is it actually goes through and it, it looks at what you have out there, okay? And it, it monitors it, it recommends, um, it'll actually automatically make changes for you based on your policies and all that kind of stuff. I'm actually going to show you a demo security center, so we'll get into it then. But what I did want to show you is an anatomy of a real attack in Azure that happens that has security center sees it, right? So when an attack happens, it actually sees the port scanning happening, okay? It creates, it does some weaponization where the attacker will compile a list of the targets. So it'll get into your infrastructure. It'll look for everything that it can attack. All right, then it does the actual brute force and or whatever it's going to do. It injects as SQL. It does whatever it's designed to do. All right. So when you actually get down to command and control, that's where, you know, security center says, hey, something's wrong here. Something's actually wrong. Um, we've been monitoring this. Uh, we need you to take a look at it. And that's when we get down to the kill chain where the incident is automatically created and you're sent a notification about it. Now, is this really proactive? Well, the attacks already happened, right? Uh, but what it does is it allows you to understand that if this happens again, you know what to look for. You know what the, you know, what steps, you know, actually took place. You can go out and create alerts against that. You can create a policy against that. So hopefully it doesn't happen again. Now, of course, you know, I got to give a little bit of plug here, but there are there is uh, some third-party tools that can do this, uh, look at the data as well. Um, and one of them is Polaris Radar. Um, and I highly recommend that you take a look at that as well. So some common issues. I'm not going to run through all this because I'd really like to get some demos. But these are really kind of things that people mess up on, if you will. Um, what they do is they, you know, they do things like they put static IPs inside the OS. Do not do that. All right, you just don't do it. Um, VM lose the IPs when they're deallocated, right? So use static IPs for your VMs, right? So if you, you're saying, hey, I have a service that always connects to this IP, guess what? If it's dynamic, you're going to lose it, all right? Um, secondary NIP cannot be used for public facing, so on and so forth. Again, I'm not going to run through all these. Um, please take the time uh, and take a look at all these. And then we get to some more with the uh, network security groups, Express Route, um, and the Azure PowerShell as well. Yeah, don't make it obsolete. Okay, so let's take a look at some demo. And I'm going to switch over here and bring this up. Okay, so what we're looking at here is we're looking at a dashboard, right? This is not necessarily a dashboard you normally see because I changed my colors and I have a whole bunch of different things on it. Um, but this is the dashboard that you would create um, or have inside of Azure. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because if you go in and edit this dashboard, you can actually, when you log in, this is the first thing you see, you can actually see your alerts right on the screen. I mean, if you have any security breaches, you have anything like that, it'll be boom, right there in front of you. Uh, and you'd be able to, you know, uh, act on that. So one recommendation is maybe you want to go through and understand how to customize your dashboard, add alerts to it, things like that, kind of like a, a knock screen, a network operation center knock screen. 
um, so you can you know make it to the way you'd like to to have it. So what we're going to take a look at is we're first going to take a look at when you actually create a VM, what security you set when you create a VM. So I'm just going to go out here and I'm going to create a Windows VM because Windows obviously, uh, believe it or not, is less secure than a Linux. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll go out here and create one real quick and we'll take a look at what options we got. So inside of the options, inside of the options, uh, I'm going to give it a real quick name here. Uh, we'll call it test VM if it takes it. Yeah. Uh, give it a name. Of course, passwords are, you know, have to be uh, set to what Azure wants now, which I believe is 12 characters, uh, as long as special characters, uh, uppercase, lowercase, all that fun stuff, which is a security consideration that you should give. And then confirm it. Hope I type the same one here. Yep. Okay. So then we go in here, you look at your, you know, I'm just going to use a existing resource group. Uh, I'm not really going to create this, so I don't know what I want. There we go. Uh, one of the things you want to be aware of is what location you're doing it in. Obviously, you know, regionally, you want it in a region that's closer to you. Okay. Um, and when you actually go in and create, all right, you click OK. Now you're going to start getting into the size, which really has no bearing on the security. Well, it kind of does, but it doesn't. Oops. I select that. Okay, here we go. So this is when you start getting into uh, some more of the security stuff, right? Um, you can obviously go through and set your virtual network. Um, you can set your subnet. And then here, public IP address. Now, by default, that is actually going to create a public IP for your VM. That's kind of bad, all right? We really don't want that to happen. Um, because do you need a public IP? Most of the time, you should not have one. Um, you know, you should have that saw or that Paul workstation that you can connect to your VMs. So realistically, you want to go in here and you do not want one, right? Um, so you click none and the, you know, that's taken away from you. Now, network security group, this is where you actually pick um, a security group. You can click advanced here. If you click advanced, this is where you actually have, if you have a predefined group, you can assign it to it. If you don't, you actually can sit here and pick what ports, all right? By default, all right, there are no ports open, okay? RDP is not even open anymore. It used to be, but by default, RDP is no longer open when you create a VM, which is really a good thing, all right? You can select no public inbound ports. Then nothing can be put in there, all right? Um, there are extensions that you can add to in a VM. And when you do an extension, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there are security extensions that you can use, all right? Uh, Kaspersky, I think uh, McAfee's got one out here. I think a couple other ones have one out here. So if you have a policy or you have uh, a software inventory that you do on-premises that you want to mimic in the cloud, there, there's a possibility that your vendor supplies an extension to be added to a machine. If they don't, they probably have a process to add it, you know, uh, post-build or pre-build. Um, to give you the same thing that you do on-premises, okay? So uh, auto shutdown, kind of big, save yourself some, some money. But monitoring, you get boot diagnostics, um, you go through and you can enable boot diagnostics, it actually records what's going on during the boot process. The guest OS diagnostics are the same thing. All right, and then you have 
something called a managed service identity. Managed service identity will actually uh, allow you to use Azure Active Directory to manage your VM rather than individual accounts like the one I put in here um, to manage it. It'll, you can create groups in AAD and users in AAD to manage all of your VMs. Okay? Yeah. One of the things I wanted to show you is about the just-in-time, right? So you should be able to pick here um, that you've got just-in-time. There we go. I want to kill that. Um, but one of the things is, is that you actually have to have just-in-time enabled. So if you go down here to something called Security Center, the first thing that pops up is, hey, you know, um, this is your environment. Uh, but what it also wants you to do is make sure all your subscriptions are upgraded, the standard plan. So if you don't have standard plan, that's the only way you can get just-in-time access. All right. So you want to make sure your subscriptions are upgraded. Now, you get a free 60 days with it. Um, but I think it costs $15 per VM per month. I think it tells you that somewhere. I think that's how much it costs um, for, yeah, about 15 bucks per VM. But what it does is it extends the security that Security Center looks at a machine, right? What it does is it allows you to um, look at everything from, you know, this, this tells you right here what subscription coverage has standard and what has the free or what they call a basic tier. But the standard tier allows you to get more information, more analytics. It actually brings up the advanced threat protection and things like that. Okay. Um, you can get down in here. You can get down to policy and compliance with security policies. You can do basic that basic in the basic version. You can do it very rudimentary. But if you use the standard version, you can really create an extensive policies. Okay. Um, so what I want to do here is I want to take a look at the security center and I want to actually look at this. I got two attack resources. Look at that. Now, there's a story behind this, okay? Um, I did a V brown bag about a month ago, um, and that would have been August of 2018, and it was Azure troubleshooting one. Right after I did that that V brown bag, the same night that I did that V brown bag, um, the VMs that I showed on my uh, on the screen during the brown bag started getting brute force attacks against them. And I've never really had that in any presentations I've done. So it was kind of weird. I wonder what kind of audience B. Brownback has. But anyways, what they did was they came after my VMs, right? Well, what was really interesting is when I got the email that said that your video is now posted, you know, the B. Brownback video is now posted for everybody out on YouTube. You can go out there and you can watch it, right? Well, my attack surface just went up. And I had, like, ever since then, I have had a... a Thompson attacks. Look at this. This is all brute force. Okay. And it just keeps on, you know, they just keep on coming. They just keep on coming. And, you know, I just, it amazes me that everybody, sometimes when somebody's watching the video and going, oh, yeah, oh, there's a machine I can go after. I'm going to go after his machine and I'm going to try and brute force it. But what's really cool is if you go in here and it tells you that you have suspicious authentication activity, and if you click on that, all right, it's going to tell you what machines it went against. All right. And when you go, you even go, this is digging down now, right? So you keep digging down and you're like, wow, what happened? It tries to tell you what happened. It tells you that at the event log analysis over the detected time period, there were 43 failed attempts against the login, okay, of this machine from 146, 185, 239, 127. All right. What some people don't know is that you go down in here and you click on investigate. And when you do that, it'll actually tie everything together for you from the attacks that were on that machine. So when you look at this, when it comes up here, 
you can see it ties all the pieces together. And you can actually pick the different parts when it starts its investigation. When it actually goes out and looks at this machine, it'll give you all that information, all that information about that IP address. It's located in Luxembourg, okay? Um, so it really helps you understand, hey, where are these attacks coming from? And how can I mitigate them or how can I report them, all right, in case it's, you know, something really malicious. Now, a brute force attack isn't necessarily really malicious. I mean, you can stop that. That's just something I just have to go out and shut off the RDP for. But when you talk about something that attack that happens that is like a malware attack or a ransomware attack, you can do the same thing here. You can go and you can look at where the origin as far as Azure knows what it is, because as you know, you know, they use IP deflectors and all this other kind of stuff when they're, you know, using ransomware as a service or, you know, how difficult they make it to trace. But it gives you a really, really good picture of where an attack is coming from and what the attack is actually trying to do. You can even take it a little bit further and go into analytics here. If you go into analytics, that's when you're actually talking directly to the logs themselves. You're looking at the analytics, the logs, and you can run uh, queries using the custom language. Um, running queries against the logs to extract even more information about that attack. Okay, so um, I'm pretty much running out of time here, and uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you that. I also want to quickly show you that the Azure Advisor, if you click on that, um, this is really a cool tool because you can randomly go out there and you can get recommendations from Advisor. You can have this automatically send you recommendations as well when you create new infrastructure. But what's kind of cool about it is it has a security portal. So what you do is you click on the security when it comes up here, and it'll tell you, hey, you have X amount of potential security problems, and this is how you would fix them, what the impact is and how you would fix them. And when you click on that, it's going to tell me, hey, I've got 33 impacted. Um, it's got 39 alerts already. If I click on the recommendations, it's going to go through and tell me exactly what it thinks I should do and what resource it should be assigned to. Okay, so that's kind of cool because if you've got a very large infrastructure in, in Azure, sometimes it can be difficult to nail that down, you know, what actual resource is supposed to have, you know, enable auditing of SQL Server. You could have 100 SQL Servers. Maybe there 99 of them are auditing and one isn't. Uh, so it's actually telling me and I can click on it and it'll tell me what machine, you know, I should go out and enable the auditing on. And it'll give me all the information on it. So this is something that I encourage you to look at as well. This is kind of cool, um, and it really helped those administrators when they when they need to look at the environment as a whole and understand what security threats are out there. Now, this is I'm coming to a close here. Um, I really appreciate your time. I really would like to expand on this even further. So I'm hoping if you're going to Ignite, you can attend my session. If not, um, you can always watch uh, the Ignite session and this B Brown session, B Brown Bag session online. And uh, hopefully I help you out a little bit with your Azure security. Thank you very much. Looks like we do have one question. Uh, so the question is, does advisor need a separate subscription? There we go. 
no, advisor does not need a separate subscription. Actually, advisor is actually something that they will pop up when you create a subscription inside of Azure. Advisor is one of the things that they want you to use, right? So, and it, it, they don't charge anything more for that. Um, now, the security center portion of it that I showed, if you want above the basics, then yes, that is a an extra charge for that, like I said. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Any more questions before we let Mike go? All right. Great. Uh, if anybody has any questions after watching, of course, please feel free to engage us via Twitter at vbrownbag or hashtag vbrownbag, uh, and we'll pass on that question to Mike. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it.